So our scripture passage today is 1 Corinthians 7, and I will read uh, starting at verse 25. Um, I know you always listen closely, but listen closely. Uh, this is an interesting, possibly strange passage. There will be a few things I think I'll need to explain to help us understand it, but it also makes a point that we need to hear. And so uh, listen with curiosity as God speaks through his word. Hear the word of God, 1 Corinthians 7, starting at 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From, on, from now on, those who are married should live as if they were not. <clears throat> Sorry. And those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she is getting beyond the usual age for marrying, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then... He who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. This is the word of the Lord. You don't sound that thankful, but okay, I get it. <laughs> Pastor Peter informs me that he already did a sermon titled As You Are, so this is As You Are 2.0. Beautiful, Messy Relationships, that's the series we've been looking at, and uh, today we are looking at being single. We've been saying every week, our relationship with Jesus is meant to reshape all of our other relationships. Mariska's baptism today is the initiation, the sign and seal and symbol of her relationship with Jesus and it's meant to reshape everything that happens for the rest of her life, all those relationships, true also for all of us. So Google single Christian when you get home. It's safe. That's good to know. Um, do you have in your mind what shows up when you Google single Christian? Dating sites. If you're a single Christian, get out of that singleness as fast as you possibly can. That's what it's implying. I'm not saying that, be clear. We have this assumption 
that being single is somehow wrong, broken. Paul, who we just read, is kind of fond of the idea. He's so attracted to it, he kept it his entire life. When you Google single Christian, you know how Google, I think, figures out what are the other things that people Google when they Google single Christian. And then they give you some questions you might be asking. Number one question, is it okay for a Christian to be single? Folks, we've really missed the mark on this one. The assumption, and check yourselves, the assumption is that if somebody's single, we should worry for them, maybe pray that they find somebody soon, that they're finished, completed, and so on. And I get some of that, but at the same time, the biblical challenge is to understand that singleness is a calling, an opportunity, a beautiful thing, right? And when God has someone single, there may be a whole lot more into it that we need to pay attention to. So this message is really about paying attention to the fact that the biblical injunction about marriage and singleness is they're at least equal, if not a priority going to singleness in the New Testament. Jesus was single, Paul was single, and they take care of a whole lot of the New Testament all by themselves. Last week, Jesus said this to us right after the, the uh, disciples said, well, maybe then it's better not to be married. And Jesus replied, yep, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. It is a calling in Jesus' mind. And today we heard Paul say, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. All right? Um, Paul's injunction, again, his regular recognition was that his singleness allowed him to do the kind of work that he did in the kingdom, and that was a calling he accepted, and he encouraged those who were called that way who could to be that way. He did not in any way make singleness seem like something you should move on from as quickly as you possibly can. This might not be the highest view of marriage, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. There's a whole bunch of texts, by the way, in this passage that would be just great wedding texts for uh, someone to use. Not if you're having me do your wedding, I'm just saying. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, Paul is recognizing here again, he, he's, he's calling people to a particular um, life, a life where he's suggesting that you are married, first of all, to, to the kingdom, to Jesus, to God, and to the work that goes with that, that you're unencumbered by all the other responsibilities that come when you are married and when you have children and so on, right? All that logical. But he's also saying, but wait a minute, when I give you this calling, don't do it in such a way that you're going to get in trouble sexually, right? Don't get it, do this in such a way. And you probably, if you know anything about church history, you know that we've messed that side up as well, that people who've been thought they were called to celibacy or were forced to be called to celibacy, I guess I would say, right, passion burned them in the end. We need to understand, again, that balance, that understanding, that awareness of who we are. Um, someone said to me the other week in conversation about these things, we need to realize right now that we live in a very sexually focused and um, energized, sexually energized culture, right, where I think part of the reason 
the church gets so excited about you not being single, and you know, if you are a single Christian, the first thing you need is a, is a dating site, is that um, our entire world is, is caught up in that relationship being everything, and really the focus of the church is to include all relationships, and to recognize, again, your primary identity is not married or single, right? It's not your family name. It's in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. So in this passage, there's, there's some levels of authority spoken about, and I thought it would be a good time just to spend a little time thinking about how do we treat the Bible, the Word of God, um, because our basic belief is all Scripture is God-breathed and therefore useful for teaching. Um, we do need to start by recognizing that when Paul wrote that, he didn't actually have the Bible. He wrote the rest of the Bible. He didn't consider it the Bible when he was alive, right? So he's actually talking Old Testament, Torah, and so on. But there's also within the Bible this recognition that, yes, it's all authority. So even when Paul says this, I have no command from the Lord, and earlier he says, I have a command from the Lord. On this, he has no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So note this first. Paul is writing a letter, not self-consciously saying I'm writing the Bible. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church in response to some of the things that they are doing, and he's trying to explain to them how things should work out. And on some things he says, you know, I got this direct from the Lord, either, either Jesus said it or it was something that he received in a vision in his prayer, right? Either way, he said, I got something direct from the Lord on this. And on this one he says, I don't have anything direct from God, but trust me because I have some experience on this, right? And then that tells me there's a little more leeway on this one than there would be on some of the things where he says, God commands this. This, this one's really simple. You got to hang on to that as central, right? So really what I'm saying is, when we treat the Bible as completely and totally and from end to end inspired by God, and we do and I do, we also recognize that we spend a little more time, say, on the death and resurrection of Jesus than we do on strange Levitical laws we don't know what to do with, like don't put two different kinds of cloth on your body at the same time, right? And that's okay. There's a different expectation of the very writing that we receive and so we use the Bible as literally as it calls us to literarily use it, all right? So there's different levels of authority. Even Paul, in his own writing, understands that and suggests that to us. And I think we need to pay attention as well. He also says, and this is at the end, in my judgment, do this, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God, which also informs us, right, it's word and spirit. It's word and spirit. We understand the Word of God but you've probably noticed two different people can read this book and come up with very different conclusions because interpreting the Bible also requires that the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit that inspired the writers in the first place also inspires you. And with that, we understand that God does some new things through that Spirit. And if you read Paul's journey, if you read the book of Acts in particular, you see that the Holy Spirit often stretched people, as Greg said in his testimony, Right, to think outside the box, to go to that next thing. Sometimes what God's challenged to us to do is to do a little bit of changing because the Spirit of God has called us, as Paul was saying to these people, to think about something just a little bit differently. Because you know that what Paul is saying here is kind of crazy to the Jewish people of his time. Because Jewish people, the whole Old Testament, what were they told? You are the people of the promise. From you, from your seed, will come the promised Messiah. But we need to recognize in the New Testament, Paul has to get his mind around, wait a minute, that Messiah already came. That's no longer our job. 
It's not about can you have children and can those children become um, the line of the, the promised one. It's now. The promised one's already come. How do we live that out, whether we're single, married, or in whatever relationships we are engaged in? And then the end times, because he brings it up. Nine times out of ten, if I send out something and say, what do you want me to preach about? Someone's going to say, preach about the end times. All right? I don't know how to tell you this, but if I do preach on the end times, I think if you want me to preach on the end times, you'll be slightly disappointed. Um, It's nice to promise that I can disappoint you in a sermon, isn't it? I have a rather traditionally reformed understanding of the end times, quite simply like this. We have always been in them since Jesus was here. They are long end times, right? Because when you read Paul, he's in the same mode that any end time expectant person, which we should all be, is in. That was a lousy sentence, I'm sorry. Because of this present crisis, he says, the crisis in Paul's time was Jesus has come, the kingdom is here, as Jesus announced, we need to spread that word because Jesus is coming back. He had an expectation that Jesus was coming back pretty soon, right? And about 2,000 years later, we're going, I think he was wrong. I want to say, no, he wasn't wrong. We still need to live in exactly that same frame of mind that we need to live with a passion for the kingdom because Jesus is coming back soon, right? So when someone says to me, hey, the things that are going on in our world right now, they, they seem to point that this is the end. I'll always say, absolutely, as did the time of Nero, as did the Middle Ages, as did every other crisis in history. And there was always somebody there saying this, and they were all right. So we don't know the hour of the day because that's exactly what Jesus taught. We don't have any idea when he's coming back, but we should always live as if it's tomorrow. That's where Paul gets into this singleness. He's going, don't get so excited about marriage and family and all the responsibilities of this world because we've got kingdom work to do and that has to come first, right? And so whether you're married or single, that is God's emphasis. That's what Paul's talking about here. Verse 29 up there, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. And verse 31, for this world in its present form is passing away, all right? We don't live for this and the now only, right? But we live to transform this world into God's kingdom, to live for that passion for what God is trying to produce among us. That is our primary focus and shapes all of our relationships. One more explanation. Virgins, spinsters, never married. Now, about virgins, that must have thrown you off when I started the passage, right? Now, about virgins. I don't know why they haven't changed the um, translation to young women's, because the way when we talk and we say virgins, we're meaning things actually a little more specifically than he was there. He means young women who are not yet married. Um, I wrote spinsters up there because when I started in ministry, I think still some places now, like a lot of churches, if I do a wedding, I have to sign all the stuff in the book, right? Maybe we have one of those. I'm not even sure. And it actually says in there, if the book is old, your options for the woman are spinster, widow, or divorced. And all the women want to go, none of the above, thanks. Right? Now they say never married on all those forms. But spinster and virgin are just really old words. Right? In my entire lifetime, I always thought spinster meant you had to at least have gray hair and be single. Right? Um, So... Again, just saying, when it says now about virgins, it really should just say now about young women who are not yet married, right? Just be clear about that. Here's the potential wedding text for you, another one. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. That'd be good all by itself. 
But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. That's a lot of married people laughing there. <laughs> right? From a marriage point of view, we need to just own that. Right? I know that when you come here, you have to present that all as well. But the Bible's pretty clear. They already know that there's going to be some challenges just by being married, by having children, by the responsibilities of that. Um, just a word of encouragement. Be honest about that reality. And just, just a note, too. You see that Ruth Ann sits on that side of the worship space, and I sit on this side. Nothing. We're just working that. So we do sit together at home sometimes. Just, just making sure you know that piece while we're on this. Right? But recognize that what Paul is saying here. Right? He's encouraging singleness because he says, I want you to be as kingdom-focused as you possibly can. Right? And in the process, he's saying, well, we're going to find some pretty funny things about marriage because he doesn't hold it up quite as high as we do. Right? And I think it is funny quite simply because we're going, this is, this is crazy talk. Of course it's awesome to be married. Of course that's the best situation for us. He's going, think about that. Think about that again. Think about that again. And then don't quote scripture without context. For now, from now on, those of you who have wives should live as if they do not. Right? <laughs> Scripture's dangerous when we proof text or have little texts. I sometimes want to apologize to you for coming here and starting by saying, can you all send me your life verse? Because life verses can be dangerous. I'm glad to say you all picked ones that, even out of context, sounded great and seemed to be pretty clear. None of you picked this one, for example. Um, <laughs> But all verses need to be understood in the context of the other things that are being said there, right? So when Paul says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, he's not saying, guys night out, girls night out, do whatever you want, pretend that you're not married, right? Not whatsoever. He's saying, live as if, maybe you've heard me say this already today, live as if the kingdom is the most important thing, but be faithful in all your relationships within that kingdom. That kingdom, that relationship with Jesus comes first. So full disclosure, I am going on a uh, live as if, from now on those who have wives should live as if they have not, week um, or weekend this week. That doesn't make sense. I can't even talk today. You know why it is? I'm going away right after this, and so my mind has already left the building, so I apologize for that. <laughs> I'm going away with a group of pastors, and uh, we do this every year on Super Bowl weekend, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'll gladly tell you about it if you want a few more details sometime. Um, but this year it happens to be that the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day coincide, and I need to confess that not one of us thought about the fact that we were going away on Valentine's Day. was not mentioned by anybody. There was all kinds of excuses why some guys couldn't come, but none of them said, well, because I have to be home for my wife during Valentine's Day. So I'm confessing on behalf of all of my friends. If you want names, talk to me afterwards. I'd be glad to give them to you. <laughs> all right, the focus that clarifies. From all of that stuff that I've said, this is, this is it. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Right? As you are, however you are, whatever circumstance you find yourself, your focus, your question, 
our common project here as a church community is to be an undivided devotion to the Lord. So, what do we do with this? First, let's reconsider our bias. Do you buy that we've probably overemphasized being married as the right path and being single as the path, well, we should either pity you or fix you or change you, when really that's not a biblical stance? I can't change your bias. I'm encouraging you to reconsider yours. And so, if we do, try this. Practice the use of odd numbers, right? So instead of saying, we're going to get four couples together, Say, we'd like a small group of six to nine people, right? I've been practicing this for years. Always make sure there's an odd number in there. And um, just proof of actually what I've been saying here this morning, when we were putting the challenging conversations together, we gave you the encouragement and opportunity to be in a group that did not include your spouse. Um, And most of you balked at that. We have no concept that you can actually go to a small group without your spouse, right? And you should do some things with your spouse. I'm not, right? I'm not against that part. But it's actually okay to be in a group with other people, right, where you're the odd number. In fact, it'd be a great experience for you because you'll be a lot more sensitive to other people who come singly if you've practiced being an odd number as well as using odd numbers, right? And ask questions about the questions that you ask. I know this gets hard work. Why does it have to be so hard? But it is when you're sensitive and you love people. Wonder. Should I lead with, so do you have an important person in your life? Are you dating? Um, Those kind of questions for somebody who isn't in that circumstance can be painful. I learned lots of bad questions the hard way by asking them. Um, The youth group last week taught me another one not to ask them. So if someone's in high school, here's a question I just learned they don't want you to ask them. So what are you doing next? Do you know where you're going to school? right? Because if they don't know that yet, and a lot of them don't, and that's totally fine, by the way, everyone, right? They feel like, should I? Everyone keeps asking me this. I, mu- I must have an answer for that, right? Same way. Are you dating? Should I be? Right? Is it, is, it, is it okay to be single as a Christian? Right? I think that question was online because so many people have asked single people who come to church, are you dating, that they think, am I not allowed to be at church if I'm not dating? Right? Let's Ask questions about the questions we ask, and when you make a bad one, just apologize. That's all you really need to do. Sorry, youth, for asking that question last week, right? And then stop asking it and try and think, what's a more helpful question for me to ask? What's a more general question for me to ask? Nick. Nick has a great question. Sorry, Nick, I didn't ask permission for this. Can I have permission to say this? Thank you, Nick. (laughs) When Nick meets people, he asks, tell me your story. Brilliant. There's no, everybody has a story. Probably no one feels embarrassed that they have a story or feels pressure to have a story. You have a story. Tell me your story. Start in with something that lets them open the door. And then if they tell you that they have a spouse or a relationship or children or grandchildren or all these other things, you get to go there with them. Right? Just want to ask you again, as we think about in an ongoing way, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? How do I ask questions that don't make somebody go, wait, that feels like pressure. I'm not sure what to do with that. And then realize this, you, like me, are going to ask stupid questions once in a while, and that's okay, right? Let's not, not stop talking because we might ask the wrong question, but let's be aware, let's think about it, and when we need to, let's apologize along the way. And then, again, and finally, celebrate being committed to Christ first. 
right? The first thing we need to celebrate as a church community is that this person is showing signs and living a life that shows that they love Jesus and that's amazing in this way and they're able to tell their story in that way. And whether that comes alone or comes as a couple or comes in any other form or fashion, that's what we celebrate first, right? If we start having that conversation and making that the center of who we are, people will only ask the question, am I allowed to be in church if I don't know Jesus yet? The answer is yes, but we will definitely introduce you to him. That's the relationship we have for you. All right, the central point, this is the center of this whole passage. I didn't read this part, and I want to end with it because it's the key. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. All right? This is the rule. This is from God. Whatever your situation, do it to the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your call in our lives. Thank you that each of us um, has a particular calling and help us be curious about that for ourselves. Help us to question some of the assumptions that we carry around and see if maybe they need some adjustment. Help us to act in ways that are sensitive and caring to others. Help us to love others as we would have them love and treat us. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be a community that can make people feel loved and comfortable at all times, in all circumstances, in all relationships. Give us your spirit to guide us in that direction, we pray in your holy name. Amen.